Hey Atari Hackers, welcome to this podcast episode. In today's episode, we are going to be trying a new format with the podcast where Mark and I are going to be covering some of the latest news in the industry and why we think they're important and essentially give you our take on this. And it's going to be interesting because as you know, Mark and I tend to disagree a lot. So I can't wait to see what debates come out of this. Should be fun. So let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship. Just real-life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Authority Hacker Podcast. So as I was saying in the intro, we are going to be trying a new format today where we're going to be covering some of the news. And by the way, if you're on YouTube, now we actually have chapter under the video. So if there's a topic that doesn't interest you, then you can skip it. But a topic that I know you're not going to want to skip is the one that we're not going to give up, which is uh, how's it going, Mark? I like how in the last week's episode, there's an actual chapter called how's it going, Mark? I feel like yes. it, I need to start coming out with more witty answers to this. Yeah, I think so. Well, obviously not this week. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Well, let's just jump into this then. I guess I'm assuming you're okay. I'm assuming you're okay. Uh, I'm fine. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Let's jump into this right away. And uh, I'm actually going to let you take this one because you prepared it, which is going to be the Google Web Stories. Yeah, so interesting new development, I guess, coming out of uh, Google. They've released a new beta version of WordPress plugin and some developer guidelines for this Web Stories thing. Think of it as kind of like Google's answer to Instagram stories or you know TikTok short videos where Google doesn't really have any kind of content like that to serve, but it's insanely popular. There's like short bite-sized clips or videos kind of often that tell a story in like succession with several of them. You guys all know what I'm talking about. But it appears that Google wants in on the action somehow. So they've they've made this plugin available, which allows you to create this on your website. It's not like a it's not a replacement for Canva. It doesn't let you design and draw it. It's more just to have all the markup and schema. The design? Or no, no, no. Designer is pretty good. I don't know if you'd check the plugin on GitHub, but I did. And mm -hmm. actually, it really looks like, I mean, it's not on Canva level, but it's like, it's the same. You can drag and drop images, etc. inside WordPress as a plugin. And it's really good. I was very surprised. It even made me think like, what if Google made a page builder? Because it's really like not that far, actually. And it's really good. So it's like, you can do pretty decent designs with this, actually. And I was surprised. And one thing that I noticed as well, because the question I'm always asking with, with these things right, is like, how do I drive traffic to like an affiliate offer, a sales page or something? It's like, what's the point of the format if I'm unable to monetize it? But actually, any text element on these stories can be a link and you can add a link to this, meaning you can actually like put arrows and like put things like click here, etc. So you could make like, let's say, you know, like the 10, 10 best treadmills and then you could just have like a story where you just go through and each one has an affiliate link and people will be able to click. And you actually, they actually mention affiliate links in the documentation on the blog post and they just say, well, as long as it's like per, per slide, you only have one affiliate link and it's not abusive, then it's fine to do that actually. So it's going to be an interesting one depending on how much exposure they give to the format because obviously right now, the only place where Google does stories is YouTube. So uh, on YouTube mobile, you have stories. And uh, I'm actually wondering if they're going to mix these together with the stories that people put on their site, if the format takes off at all, because Google is well known for doing products that don't take off at all. So yeah. I'm quite curious about that. But at the same time, I can see on mobile. Yeah. It's also, it's very heavily 
mobile focused. So the formatting that it wants you to, to, ah, yeah. to put it in is like portrait, you know, so it would fit on a phone. It's screen. only for mobile. They won't show it on desktop yeah. for sure. Like it's not even going to be shown on desktop. I think it's just going to be, I'm very curious to see if they will have that on SERPs. Because if it is on SERPs and it's because stories are very much going to be based. Well, where else is it going to be? Well, so they say it might be on SERPs, but uh, they say on Google Images. They say on Google Discover, which I could yeah, that see makes that. Sense. It's like, you know, Google Discover, they could have that kind of like a story feed on top or something for based on like the publishers you follow or something like this. And then they could promote their blog post or whatever. I could see that. Like kind of like a soft subscribe, right? They do that with YouTube, right? It's like YouTube, you watch two or three videos from... Like YouTube is not really subscription-based anymore. It's just subscribing is just a signal. But if you're watching like two or three videos from a channel, you'll just see them all the time in your feed, recommended videos, etc. So there's a, there's a soft subscribe based on your engagement. And I can see them do the same thing with websites. And then you seeing in Discover, see all like... One of my predictions for this year was that they're going to put Google Discover in new Chrome tabs, right? And I'm very surprised it hasn't been done yet, but, you know, especially if they're pushing for this and they're pushing this in Google Discover, that would make a lot of sense that it would be a new tab. Can you imagine how addictive that would be if you see stories every time you open a new tab? Like, this is like, this be... is like the, the searching without having to type your keywords yeah. kind of search. Yeah. It's like subscribing through search, basically. Like it's um, like self-subscribing through search, the same way as like you consume content on YouTube, which I think... I think YouTube is the model Google is going after anyway. Like it's like YouTube is like a pure engagement based model. And the thing is like because because these stories are, are hosted on AMP, right? So they're hosted by Google on Google servers. Meaning Google can see all the engagement metrics they want for these sites and use these metrics legally versus like, you know, they they, they can't really they don't really use your analytics data to like rank your site. It's like they they can use the webmasters console data, but they don't have JavaScript on your site, so they can't tell how long people were on your site that well, etc. But this data, they can totally use it because it's hosted by them. Because it's AMP. And so as a result, it gets search closer to something like YouTube, you know? Which, uh, yeah, I could see them liking that. With anything like this, it's one of those things like you need to keep an eye on it and to start sort of like observing how it's being used. Don't go it's crazy. Not, it's, not, it, yeah. it's not like drop everything and, and jump yeah. on this straight away. Like, you know, people have been saying that about voice search for years, oh, but it, it hasn't really happened in, in that way. So keep an eye on it and uh, play around with it, but don't waste too much time on it. I'll just keep an eye on it. I'm not even like going to play with it that much. I mean, I might just play with it just like for Tori Hacker. Like if someone asks me, I can answer. But pff, like I wouldn't waste your time on this now. Like nobody drives traffic from this. Nobody has made money from this. You're better off just... Yeah, but the WordPress plugin, it, I, I didn't quite get how it works. So like you allows you to embed this in, it like creates a Gutenberg block or something, right? I think it just basically creates a post, basically. It's kind of like a post type, you know? Mm-hmm. And that post type will just be like here for for this format and through AMP only. So it's basically you're creating a post type for Google, basically, kind of. And it's like it's not really going to be visible on the rest of your site or something, you know? Is it? Are you hundred percent sure it's through AMP only? No. I read. Uh, it's through AMP only. Yes, for sure. I, I'm sure I read someone saying that that's not actually going to be the case or something. I literally I'm on the page right now. They're powered by AMP technology, so learn more about AMP uh, them on amp.dev. Yes, it is AMP-based. So, yeah, it's interesting. Let's see. It could be a bigger move towards AMP that they're preparing as well, where it's like they make it more of a ranking factor on mobile, etc. Quite curious about that, because what it does, the problem with AMP, the biggest problem with AMP is you can do like opt-in pop-ups and things like that. It's, it, you are limited 
in call to actions, how you're making them, etc. But I think it'd be a smart way for them to just get rid of all the um, the call to actions they hate for user <laughs> interface <laughs> on mobile. Be like, well, you know what, AMP is like a massive ranking factor now, and you're gonna have to deal with that. And then it just like removes all that stuff. So let's see. It's an interesting movie. I think it tells a lot about their plans actually more than the actual stories. And I think that's not really been covered by people who talked about this. I know Income School was saying like, oh, you guys should get started now, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so me, like, uh, people are going to just waste their time right now, I think, like, and we don't know. And Google is known for making stuff that fails, you know. How's your Google Plus account these days, anyway? Exactly. It's like, well, there's so many Google Wave that was trying to replace email. And, like, there's, like, there's so many. Uh, at some point, Google Plus was YouTube comments as well. And, like, yeah, all this stuff is gone, you know. And uh, if you Google uh, Google Graveyard, you'll see how many failed products they have. Anyway, anything else to say on this one? Or should we jump on the next one? Uh, no, let's jump on the next one. So the next one is also a very interesting one, which I've seen people talk about on multiple Facebook groups, which is this OpenAI GPT-3, which is a new API that came out. OpenAI is like, a, it's kind of like an association for AI that's trying to like push AI in the right, like, so that it's not owned by like a giant company like Google or something, but something that's like accessible to everyone and open source, etc. And they came up with an API that creates pretty good written content. And um, there's actually a full blog post written with that API. And I will put a URL below if you're on the video, but I'll say it right now. It's uh, maraos.com. And then check the latest blog post because it's a terrible URL. <laughs> so go check on that site, but we'll put a URL in the description if you want to check this out on YouTube. And yeah, the computer-generated text is really good. And there was a tweet that I think summarized you know, why it's like this kind of text. It says, GPT-3 often performs like a clever student who hasn't done their reading, trying to bullshit their way through an exam. Some well-known facts, some half-truths, and some straight lies stung together in what at first looks like a smooth narrative. So it's not going to replace like expert content. But, you know, when I read that, you know what it reminded me? Bad freelance writers. <laughs> it reminded me of that. And it's, a, it's an interesting point because I think, obviously, it's not going to be now because the cost to actually run this is very high still in terms of uh, computing power. It's actually more expensive than paying a writer at this point. So like a, a bad writer is still cheaper than the AI. And I think they're really happy about that right now. But obviously, as time goes, all technologies tend to become cheaper, more affordable, and more widespread. And, and it's a little bit of a scary one, the fact that the resources are required are pretty high because what that means is that big media company might have access to this before smaller publishers. And that means because it requires infrastructure, because it requires a minimum investment, uh, you might need like a server farm to run this properly, etc. But like for big publishers, it makes sense to do that uh, if the content is good enough. But I'm actually wondering if Google is not just going to take this API and maybe like kind of like run the antidote to that so that they can actually identify if it's been written by this or something like this. I guess it depends on the costs. But yeah, another thing that might happen is uh, software as a service solutions that allow most people to access this. So like if someone makes a SaaS where like everyone chips in their $99 a month or something, then eventually most publishers would have access to this. The question is, what do we do when you can just input a keyword and get an article? Like is there like, this is not something you compete on anymore. So like, I think it's just going to go back to actually, you'll need like a real expert article that go past this bullshitting AI API. Well, you kind of already do need real expert article, you know? Well, 
it, not always. Let's be honest. Like some people rank with bullshit content. I mean, we will. Okay, kind of but in right general, now. the trends getting less and less yeah. like that. Uh, I think. I think from a user from a user's perspective, though. I think a lot of people will care about whether they're reading an article yeah, written by a human or not. So you'll see sites with some kind of like seal, hey, this is written by a real person or or making more of an effort to put that out there, yeah. I think that's going to be a thing. There's going to be the anti-AI anti readers and people. But yeah, I think overall, a lot of SEOs are excited. Like, oh my God, I'm going to build a, a content strategy around this and like deploy 100,000 pages, etc. I think from the moment this thing exists, then this kind of content has no value anymore. You know, it's just like, because everyone can do it. It's kind of like gold is expensive now, but if everyone had a hundred tons of gold in their backyard, nobody would care about gold. And it's kind of the same thing with this kind of content, which makes me wonder if the SEO industry is not reading this whole, all wrong, actually, and, and, and like uh, making the wrong predictions around this. Because uh, especially if people start doing SaaS around this, et cetera, then yeah, it's just going to be like this content is just going to be complete filler and kind of useless, you know? It might be useful for writing like social media updates from an article and things like that, you know, like kind of like repurposed content. And I could see that work, but like actual original content and making your whole content strategy this, I think, I think you're delusional to think that this is going to be the way you run websites. I think, I think initially at least. You know, eventually it will just be become you know fifty years from now or a hundred years from now. Even it'll be less, yeah. it'll be way better than any human. So yeah, you know. So it's a matter of when, not if. But I don't expect this to just be a cliff edge where everything suddenly. But, is but the funny thing is, like, think about the story. The story about stories, right? Google pushing stories. Why is Google doing that? Because people have don't have the attention span to read proper text articles in the first place. So we built AI that writes text no, articles. I, I, I don't think it's specifically that. I think it's to because there's like a to to compete with Instagram, yeah. TikTok, that kind of stuff, and it doesn't have a platform for that kind of content because it's all social media based at the moment, right? I know, but like I, I still have a feeling that essentially, as people consume more this kind of like story type content and YouTube videos, etc., they consume less written content. You know. Or they consume more content overall, which some people do, I'm sure. But it's an interesting one. But I think at the beginning, a few companies will use it because it will be so expensive. And these companies will have a competitive advantage for a while. And as soon as it becomes widespread, then it's just going to be like nothing. It's just going to be worth nothing anymore. There might be a short window of time where it's going to be a bit interesting. But let's see how it goes. Anything else on this story? No, let's move on to the next one, I think, which was Mediavine. So they have released some pretty cool data, actually. It's the first time I've seen a data post like this from them showing traffic statistics across their entire network, anonymized, of course, um, and how COVID-19 coronavirus situation has affected traffic to different categories of websites, which was, was kind of interesting. So we'll put a link to it. And if you're watching on YouTube, we'll put the actual graph on, on the screen as we're doing this. But essentially, there's a big hump, as you would imagine, when lockdown first of, sort of happened and everything started shutting down and everyone started doing more stuff online. And where we're at right now, as we record this at the end of July 2020, things have kind of gotten back to normal, more or less. We're still sort of up was that like 10, 15% traffic overall compared to this time over the previous year. But at one point, 
you know, the average site was for, uh, up 45% in terms of traffic. And we certainly saw that across one or two affiliate Multiple sites, sites yeah. as, as well. Yeah. And it sort of went away to like mitigate the Amazon changes that were. Yeah, were we were mentioning that. I'm happy this data backs this up, actually, because this is hard data on many sites. It backs this up where we were like, well, the Amazon job sucks. But on the other end, most people are having way more traffic than they should right now. And so that kind of makes up for quite a bit of it. And it, that's absolutely been the case so far. Obviously, as things go back to normal, that, it's that's, be a that's, bit I've seen that start to decline a bit though since then. So it's it's starting to starting to hit the the bottom line a bit more at the moment. But what was actually quite interesting is they they broke it down by by category. So you know you'd expect parenting or food and drink these kinds of things uh, to be way up. Uh, obviously, travel was way down, but other things as well, which I wouldn't have initially thought of, like fashion. I guess people aren't going out in public, so they don't care about you know <laughs> buying a new shirt. They're not showering anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, speak for yourself. But if you, if you guys I'm French, go, I never shower. You know. So. Yeah. Smell like onions all the time. <laughs> so if you want to uh, check out that uh, data, then head on over to that site. We'll link it in the show notes. Yeah. And the next one I want to talk about is, is uh, WordPress 5.5 coming out. Actually, with a lot of like kind of like under the hood improvements and things that people have been doing with plugins, uh, including things that you do with uh, page builders. Actually, this info comes from WP Crafter, which is a WordPress channel that I recommend. I like it. I follow them, and I think it's really good. And so there's a bunch of like cool things coming to WordPress that will change a little bit the way you build your site. So the first one is auto-plugin themes and updates. You can turn it off if you don't want to do that. I will turn it off personally because uh, you know how these things can break your sites sometimes. And I like to make a backup of our sites before we update these things. So yeah, it's probably something that will tell people to do to, to turn it off. There's going to be sitemaps done natively by WordPress, so your SEO plugin wants to do that. Not a big change, really. Like You'll just turn it off in your SEO plugin, let WordPress do that. Native lazy loading for images as well, which is nice, is going to natively improve the speed of WordPress sites that haven't really worked on their page speed. Uh, that's pretty good. And the biggest one is really they're improving Gutenberg a lot to feel a lot more like a page builder. So a few things that they're adding are device preview. So now you'll be able to preview your pages on mobile, on tablet, and on desktop, which is really nice when you're editing these things. You're going to, also the interface is going to look a lot more like a page builder. You have like a side panel on the left with your widgets that you can drag and drop. So very much like Elementor or Thrive Architect or many of the plugins that people are using that are following this podcast. You'll be able to make these block patterns, which are essentially sections that you can pre-make with a bunch of widgets and you can just drag and drop them in there. So Imagine you're doing like a render preview, for example, then maybe you have a single product spotlight with like a box and like an image and then some headline and some text and a button, for example. Well, you can save that as a block pattern and just like put like put these and just edit them so you don't have to rebuild it every single time, which is quite nice. You even have a block directory that allows you to find blocks that you don't have in Gutenberg yet, but you can one-click install the plugin from the editor yeah, actually like have it right away and be able to add stuff. And you also have an inline image editor. So you'll be able to crop images, you'll be able to add some filters on them, etc. So there's going to be a pretty decent, it's not, again, not on a level of like something like Canva or like Photoshop or something like this, but pretty good. For example, like one thing that really makes blog posts look much nicer is when the image is the same size, like the images are the same size. But sometimes the original image is not always the same size. It's really easy to do with that new inline image editor and you don't have to load another page to do it, etc. It's all like quite dynamic. So it's really easy to do. So that's some of the few, some of the changes that are coming to WordPress. 
It's going to be pretty cool. Usually WordPress, they don't tell you when these things are released. It's usually like when it's ready. So I would expect in the next few months, but I guess this COVID-19... A bit like our course updates though. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> Which is a really good approach. <laughs> Do we actually have a approximate release date for WordPress 5.5 then? I'll be honest, I didn't check. But usually usually it's quite dynamic the way they pick these things because WordPress is done by contributors, right? It's kind of like an open source project done by contributors. So it's like it's a little bit more up in the air, but... Usually when these beta drop, like it's usually within a month or two, you know. So let's see when that happens. I really like when I have a bit of a callback to, I think it was a, a year and a half ago, the end of 2018, we did the podcast when Gutenberg first came out and everyone was like, oh, this is terrible, switch back to classic, yeah. all that kind of stuff. But it's really good now and it's only going to get better. And, you know, Elementor, other page builders, they're reaching a point, they're not quite there yet, but the, they're getting closer to sort of like parity level where you can kind of get away without anything. Just, just yeah, start I was it testing it actually. I was testing it for some course updates. I was testing the cadence page builder, which actually they talk about. It's not page builder; it's block builder. So it's based on Gutenberg, but they add more functions to it, and uh, it's pretty good. But you know what? Uh, what what flow I found is like for all these kind of like add-ons, the quality of the code, like the amount of divs etc. that you have in the HTML was the same as Elementor, <laughs> and so as a result, I was like. Like it's like I was like, there's no point giving you an Elementor that has more functions, and uh, and in the end, like um, okay, it's still a bit bloated. It's not perfect. Like the the core Gutenberg is very clean. Like you know, you know, you do bullet list or something, and it's clean. The HTML, like they, but as soon as you get into plugins that add extra blocks and all these things, and the quality of the code like drops almost to page builder level to the point where it's just not worth giving up on this, you know. And um, so so far. I'm sticking to Elementor, and they're adding a lot of cool stuff Elementor as well. Not really the topic, but they're adding like um, you can put your brand colors, and you like it would be really easy in the color picker. You pick, you have like your main color, your accent color, etc., and you'll be able to brand everything, brand your whole site in one click, etc. So they're doing some cool stuff. So so far, because Elementor is not an expensive tool, it's forty nine a year, I think. I think it's worth it still, to be honest. Do you want to pick the next one? Yeah, so the next one is on G Suite. So they are introducing, I don't, does it have a name yet? It's basically... It's just a redesign, really. Uh, it's basically Slack functionality for G Suite. So at the moment, if you use Slack or Discord or, or any sort of similar tool, it's a chat tool, right? It's, it's really nice. It works. The search function's awesome. It's just very well, well built. Most businesses use something like this. Uh, you have different channels and you can have feeds and stuff in your, in your channel. <laughs> I mean, if you want to do it for free, no? Yeah, yeah. But with this, it's bringing that all into the G Suite ecosystem. So you can seamlessly go from your email to your calendar to your drive to this chat to a video call Meets using well. Google Meet. Hangout Meets is better than, uh, honestly for me, it's better than yeah. Zoom and it's better than, um, yeah. it's better than Slack. Honestly, I don't understand why Zoom got so popular this year. You know, everyone uses a verb, let's Zoom each other. But Google Meet is free and way better quality. So what's interesting is that this is a realistic Slack alternative for us. And I think the roadmap for our business is probably going to exclude Slack in the near future if this does what it what it says it's going to do. What's even more interesting though is they've built a task management system in there which it doesn't look anywhere close to the, the yeah. complexity that Asana has at the moment. 
it's something more akin to you know stock base camp where you if you have like basic needs you can can kind of like organize a few tasks assign them set deadlines that kind of thing but the fact that they're getting into this world and bring it all into one ecosystem i think is fantastic Quite nice if we had the ability to do you know a lot of the advanced stuff that asana can do within the same ecosystem it's a very i think it's a very compelling move reason to move over yeah i think this whole like work from home thing made them invest a lot in this and like obviously working remotely is something that's gonna stay to some extent even if like obviously when things get better people will go back to offices i think some people will want to stay at home i think some comp now that the companies have had to figure it out i don't think it's as much of an issue as it used to be yeah, a lot, a lot of big companies as well. They're being very, very cautious. Um, I guess they don't want to get sued, or you know, they actually genuinely care about their employees. But they're saying like, you know, you don't have to go back to work in the office until there's a vaccine, or it's optional. You have to opt in if you want to go in. They, they're not going to force you to to go. So yeah, yeah. it's only going to go on. I mean, it's going to go on. So it's a big market for them. It's a bigger market this year. Like the market just got so much bigger that it's worth for them to invest and uh, and try to get market share. I think. Okay, let's jump on the next one, which is actually completely different, which is, good. I mean, still tools, I guess. Uber suggests new Chrome extension, which is actually pretty good. It's it's kind of like keyword everywhere. Like everyone's been trying to replace keyword everywhere since uh, it's been, uh, like, uh, it became paid basically. And yeah, it, like uh, Surfer has tried to do it, which they have a pretty good uh, extension too. And Uber suggests now gives you search volumes inside YouTube and inside Amazon, I think. Which is quite interesting for you for both of these, but also they give you really good stats, trends, etc. Inside Google Search when you're just searching, and uh, yeah, and I wanted to add to that uh, and a bit of an update to Uber Suggest. So now they're actually paid as a tool. There is a free version, but um, you don't get so much anymore. But the paid version is surprisingly good value. Like it's not good enough for me to use it as a main tool. So for example. One thing that annoys me, I tweeted I need Plata, but he didn't reply to me, so please just spam him or like retweet my tweet or something. But um, one thing that is is missing, for example, is like you put a single URL and it won't give you the estimated traffic for that URL. It can only give you estimated traffic for the root domain, which is you know not so great. You're unable to see which pages get the most traffic, etc. So there's a bit, there's a few things here and there that are not so good. But for example, I you know when we did the keyword tool podcast, you know where I said like all the traffic. Estimates are not so good, etc. I actually tried it on uh, on Uber Suggest. It was the closest to the real one, which uh, was very surprising to me. I don't know how to do that. I don't know where the, where the data comes from, etc. As you can see, Neil Patel doesn't reply to my tweets, so <laughs> so it's pretty simple. But but yeah, it's like it's a, it's an interesting well, an interesting budget tool. Not good enough yet for me to say this should be your main tool, but you know, keep an eye on it. It's it's actually becoming quite interesting. It's much cheaper than the competition as well. How much is it? Give, so. You can start at $29 per month. I think I saw someone saying that they had a lifetime deal on at the moment or yes, earlier have, this month as well. Have, I can't remember. It's a few hundred dollars. But the thing is like, they don't really have their like permanent business model at this point. Like, they're still um, figuring it, it out, seems, aren't they? They're changing it all the time, right? So it might be... It might be good or it might be not so good. You know, it might go back to free and then you paid lifetime, you know? And it's like, yeah, so the $29, you can toggle it and you get uh, $290 lifetime, which if they kept developing it would be a really good deal. It's one of these things that people will look back at in like five or 10 years and be like, holy shit, that was amazing, you know? Unless they like stick all the new features in like a, a more premium plan yeah, yeah. that, that one definitely. doesn't get access. And that's one of these know? things, right? And you can see they're experimenting, they're changing the price regularly, like this lifetime thing didn't exist a few weeks ago. And so it makes me, it, it like uh, makes me worry of like investing into a lifetime thing 
right now, but uh, I'm still seeing good things from Ubersuggest. And uh, this extension is another pretty good thing. And overall, it's done better than I expected at the beginning. And it's not on the level of Ahrefs or SCM Rush at this point, but it's also much cheaper. So it's like for people who are budget conscious on tools, it's, it's not bad, a bad tool, you know? Do you want to take the next one? Yeah, so next one's around transferring website to a new owner and what to do with the Amazon links. This actually came up in the Authority Hacker Pro community this month. A guy by the name of Ron Stefanski actually sold his website and wasn't quite sure about how to remove the links and for the new owner to take it over. For anyone who doesn't know, when you sell a site, it's monetized with Amazon. You can't actually transfer your Amazon Associates account over to the new owner, they need to have an account. So essentially, they need to change all of the links from your code to their code, which can be a bit of a pain in the ass depending on how you've you've set it up. A common mistake a lot of people do is that they use the Amazon site stripe, the shortened link, the amzn dot or am.zn forward slash and then whatever. So it's like a bit.ly link essentially. The problem with that is that you can't edit the tracking code properly. You need to just completely replace it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there are there's a way, in fact, Mark Jenner, one of the infamous, notorious Authority Hacker Pro members, he posted this absolutely fantastic guide on exactly how to do it, like including all his Excel formula and stuff. But basically, you're able to go and replace all the the old links with the with the new ones. But the, the key thing is that you should do this. Don't rely on the other person who you're selling the site to to do it. Because he was saying that if you transfer the site and there's still some of your links on there, the new owner can do whatever they want, right? They can start breaking all the Amazon terms, talking about yeah, price. And and, yeah, and then if your link's on there, it counts against you because you're the guilty party there. Your links are, are on there. So at Amazon don't know you've sold it. So you just should be very, very careful if you are selling an Amazon site that you get those links changed over as part of your transition process. Don't just hope that they do afterwards. And if you are ever planning to sell your Amazon site, make sure you're not using the shortened link, but you're using the full length link when you when you use SiteStripe. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I'm going to talk about the next one, which is a small one. So let's go quick, okay? Bing also has released a WordPress plugin that submits your URLs automatically to Bing. And the reason I wanted to highlight this is Bing is pretty terrible at picking up your new URLs in general. Um, so if you want, you know, Bing traffic is not massive. It's still going to, it's going to be like 10, 12% maybe of your search traffic if you're lucky. Maybe with the new uh, Microsoft Edge being quite good, it's going to pick up a little bit of market share. But uh, yeah, if you want to, if you want to get some traffic from Bing, and maybe if you, especially if you're in a broad consumer niche, then there is some traffic there. If you're like in smaller niches, not so much. You can download this plugin. Just Google it, Bing URL submission plugin, and it will automatically submit your new URLs to Bing, basically. Cool. So the next one is a massive two billion dollar fraud over at Wirecard. Uh, Wirecard AG which is the parent company of Wiretech Solutions Limited, which is a UK company, which manages the payment credit card processing for, among others, Payoneer, which is a very, very common car, prepaid card, essentially, that a lot of, I know, affiliates use. Companies like, I think Amazon can pay you directly onto Payoneer, and yep. a, a lot of affiliate programs, uh, like big networks. too, I think. But yeah, big networks like I think CJ does it. You, they pay you directly onto Payoneer. They have direct mm -hmm. partnerships with them. So I, I know a lot of affiliates were affected by this. But essentially, because of this massive fraud at the parent company, the UK regulator came in and like froze the Wirecard Solutions Limited payments on like a Friday lunchtime. And so everyone who had a Payoneer card, uh, who which was operated by this Couldn't company, that money, yeah. 
let, yeah, couldn't access some money. I know we were paying for like a number of monthly payments, like software tools, SaaS tools, things like that. And they were due to be rebuilt then and it, it didn't go through. So we had to like use a different card and things like that. If, anyway, eventually it got sorted out and they were allowed to continue operations like three or four days later. But I just want to highlight that if your business is entirely dependent on one payment processor or one card solution like this and you have no backup, then it's probably worth now while things are, are not problematic looking to have one alternative solution in place. Otherwise, you know, it could be a pretty scary situation if you suddenly find yourself locked out of money. Isn't there like guaranteed balance for like, I've provided the, the payment solution has a bank license, like normally governments guarantee a certain balance. So I think in the UK, for example, it's 80,000 pounds, which means like if the financial institution fails, then the government guarantees 80,000 pounds. If you have multiple accounts, then you can actually... That's true. That's only for... Banks, though, like a, an official incorporated, but like something bank. like Transferwise, they have a bank. Uh, I think they have a bank list. No, Revolut has one. Sorry, not Transferwise. Yeah, but Revolut has one. Some of them do, some of them don't. Some of them call yeah. themselves banks, but don't. And yeah, there's a little bit of a gray area. Also, you have to be careful that like it's one parent company. So, in the UK, Lloyd's Banking Group owns Bank of Scotland, ah, yeah. but that's one group, even though it's two so very different brands. So you only, yeah. So you have to be a little bit careful with that, but it's but it's still it's still it's rare that these kind of companies fail. But for the newer ones, it's like I would say the risk is a little bit higher. Like you know, some a company like Revolut versus like Lloyd Banks, it's like obviously it's more likely to fail if there was something really catastrophic happening. So it's kind of a good idea to also have multiple accounts for that anyway. If you're holding more than the capital that is guaranteed. Yeah, I actually got an email this week saying uh, Revolut have launched in the U.S. So if you're U.S.-based, uh, that's a is a really good uh, company to to check out for managing money, creating virtual cards. If you want to give to like VAs remotely, securely, but it fails too. Like sometimes the cards are out. There's some outage sometimes, you know. Yeah. So it's good to have multiple as well. Like I have to use TransferWise. Like I kind of like balance between the two because Revolut does sometimes just have like outage for like two hours or something, and you can't use your card. So yeah, they're good, but they they have some issues. These new uh, these new banks, basically. Anything else on the topic? No. Cool. Uh, the next one is Will Safari, which is the browser for Mac and for iPads and iPhones, uh, which still has like fourteen percent market share, I think, from what I checked, which is still reasonable. Uh, and uh, will they block Google Analytics? Because uh, there's been a lot of screenshots going around because when at WWDC, which is the yearly Apple conference, they presented the new version of Safari. They essentially have a new tracker blocker. Actually, I'm running it. I'm checking the notes of the podcast on this right now. They have a little tracker uh, blocker button on it. And when they showed it and they opened it, they showed Google Analytics was blocked essentially to protect the privacy of people. And people started freaking out because they would not see their traffic from Analytics anymore. So what I did is I actually downloaded the developer preview for the new Safari, which is going to come out in the next version of macOS and iOS. And then I just checked on our sites if I was actually showing up uh, with Google Analytics. And despite the fact that, yes, it shows that Google Analytics is blocked, you actually, when you check in real time, you, abs you absolutely see the visit. I think some stuff might be blocked, maybe like some event triggering and things like that, but it's not the whole Analytics code that's blocked. So even though you're going to see some SEO sites you know, tell you that it's all going to be blocked, etc., it's not actually true, at least not for all of it. And Safari is still fine for now, but let's see because Apple is really pushing for privacy these days. So it could be quite annoying. They're blocking retargeting pixels, for example, which is quite annoying. 
Yeah, you have to be very careful when news like this comes out because a lot of the headlines will say or even imply that it's, you know, going one way. But when you actually dig into the article, there's like a lot more to it than that. It's not necessarily yeah. the case. But then you get, you know, 500 SEOs who read the headline of, of the article and are like, oh my God, you know, this is happening. And then uh, yeah. post about it on, on Facebook, but no one's actually read the article. So just be a bit careful with that. I'll do the next one, then you do the, the drama one. But the next one is quick as well. All-in-one SEO pack has a plugin vulnerability that was discovered two days ago at the time at which we were recording. And so if you're using this, update it because uh, people can just hack your website with it, basically. Two million websites are infected, so be careful. But pick the next one, that's the important so, one. Uh, this is a great story. I think it highlights so much that's wrong with people who sell courses online, affiliate marketing, and the kind of like shadier side of of online marketing, really. We had a, a student who bought our beginner's course, which is aimed at people who have minimal experience um, the creating, system. creating profitable websites. Yeah. So, you know, someone's new, newer, newish to online marketing. So the, he bought our course and then immediately, the same day or shortly afterwards, applied to join our affiliate program to recommend other people to sell the course. And he put all in his details. He had a website where he had a few really, really low quality reviews. I mean, the site was bad overall, had zero traffic. So we rejected him from the affiliate program. And he didn't take it too well. Said something along the lines of, uh, well, you guys are good no, He went on the Facebook group. He went on the Facebook group and made a public post to complain about this instead of replying to us, let's just say. Yeah, he said, oh, it's, you're good enough to take my money for your course, but not good enough to accept me into your affiliate program. And the thinking here is just so backwards, it's unbelievable. So I just want to highlight why this is, it's a really bad idea, first of all, if you're new to affiliate marketing, to start a website about affiliate marketing and to become an internet marketer, you know, promoting other internet marketing yeah. products. Because A, you have no idea what you're talking about at that stage. And B, you end up getting pushed onto all these like scammy products that don't actually get results for people. And what they do, or what a lot of them do, is that they will get people in the door and say, oh, you know, you can make hundreds of dollars in the first few months or something. And they'll push you into their affiliate program and tell you to invite your friends and family and anyone you know and tell everyone this course is great. And then you know, it kind of works as a sort of multi-level marketing. Yeah, it's a pyramid scheme. Basically. Yeah, in a way. It's not entirely like that, but there's a big element of this with, with many courses out there. I see more and more of this actually, really. Like I've seen uh, I've seen more lately, actually. Yeah, so I just wanted to put out there that... We don't do that, yeah. If someone is pushing you to promote their product immediately after you buy, especially if you're a beginner, especially if you're a beginner and you don't know what you're talking about, then just be very, very careful and very, very cautious of their agenda and really the quality of, of what's being being taught there. So I think it's like it's pretty unethical to make that your business model. Yeah, I think my answer to him was like, I'm good enough to pay for the dentist, but I'm sure you don't want me to take care of your teeth, which, uh, you know, it's kind of the same thing right? because his argument was like, oh, it's good. you're good enough to take my money, but I can't promote you, you know? And it's kind of the same thing. It's like, it's not because you buy something that you qualify as being able to provide the same thing, you know? I don't know. I'd give and, that analogy a six out of 10 on the Gale scale. So, Well, you drop us a comment on YouTube and tell us your, your score of that one. But I think that's a pretty good one. It's like added to my, my book of analogies, which I released someday. <laughs> okay, anything else on dodgy affiliate marketers then? No, but yeah, I agree. Like, it's like, we don't push our affiliate program. Like, and usually, like, 
we don't really uh, approve new students in there unless they're already successful, basically. And they just decided to buy the course to see what we're doing. But like usually, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shady tactic. And a lot of people do that. And it's, yeah, we don't want to be these guys, basically. I just finally, before we finish, I want to give, we have a couple of shout outs to give. So the first is to Paul Libertore, who is an Authority Hacker Pro member and just reached 100,000 visits per month on his site. And I believe is very, very close to that five figure a month uh, levels. It took him two and a half years, um, but you know, I think that's pretty good yeah, result. He did it. I mean, to be honest, it took us quite a while for us to reach to reach this level too. So it's like it's it's not that bad. And and also he knew absolutely nothing. He was a lawyer, I think, before and never built a website before, etc. So it's good because it shows it's doable, but it's also showing that it's not always overnight. Like some people get success faster, but it is a job. It's a new job to learn. This is not passive income, so. Yeah, and I wanted to give another one, another shout out to Samit Bensal, who actually we met in Chiang Mai. He was there and uh, he has a website called Trump Excel, nothing to do with the current uh, US president. He's the one that does, does really well in the polls, though, because he just hit 100,000 subs on YouTube, which is pretty cool as well. And uh, I like his approach because yeah, he's trying to like bring value. It's a cool site. And you can actually check it out. He puts his name on it. So yeah, Trump Excel, go and subscribe to his channel if you want to give him some more subs. Uh, he has a lot more than us, though, so maybe he should send people this way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe he should be an affiliate. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> okay, well, any any last words for this podcast, Mark? Yeah, so this is a new-ish format that we're just kind of experimenting with, kind of bringing you guys the latest as to what's happening in online marketing, you know, some new stuff, some new tool ideas or things which are happening. If you guys like this or you have any suggestions for you know, show elements, things which we could incorporate it into this, because we'll probably do one at the end of August as well, then head on over to our YouTube channel, just search for Authority Hacker, find this episode and leave us a comment with your thoughts, because we really do listen to you guys. When we did the the short version of the show, the yeah. daily 10 minute shows, you know, a bunch of people said that they didn't like that so much. So we paid attention. Uh, so if you want your voice heard on the format, the structure of this show, head on over to that YouTube channel. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think. Uh, we're really curious. And while you're at it, just drop a thumb up and subscribe and uh, all this stuff as well. That really helps with the channel. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, well, you can also subscribe to the audio podcast platforms. You can search for us on any of them and you'll find us. And thank you for spending your time with us. And we'll see you next week. Have a good week.